119 today, Psalm 119, verses 41 through 48. Psalm 119, 41 through 48 says, So let your mercies come to me, O Lord, and let your salvation come according to your sayings. Then I will give an answer to those who insult me, because I trust in your words. But do not tear away the word of truth from my mouth, because I wait confidently for your judgments. Then I will continually keep your law forever and ever. Then I will walk around freely because I have sought your precepts. Then I will speak of your testimonies before kings, and I will not be put to shame. For I delight in your commandments, which I love. I lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I meditate on your statutes. So I want you to notice something in this this part of the psalm here. He talks about obeying God's commandments sets us free. I think we think of God's law or his commandments as some kind of some kind of thing that holds us down or whatever it is, but this this shows us that we we keep God's commandments, we become free. You know, those commandments are designed to for us to live this kind of life that we're we're, uh, we're uh, created to live. So when we obey Christ's commands or God's commands, then we will live our lives free. So think about that this week. So we're going to pray the Lord's prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. We hope it moves you. Good to me is word my 
Stray so far that 
You can all be seated. was to be a triumphant entry into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. God, on the other hand, was initiating his plan to provide for our salvation. A betrayal, a mock trial, beatings, and a crucifixion would pave the way for Christ to die for our sins. On the night he was betrayed, Christ instituted the Lord's Supper so that we, right through the emblems, remember his sacrifice until he returns. Praise God, he did it all for you. Say hey. 
Most gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity to praise you and worship you. We thank you for the sacrifice made on the cross. We pray now that you would bless this cup and this bread that represents the torn flesh and the blood shed on the cross to cleanse us. In Jesus' name. Good morning, everybody. Now is the time in the service for announcements. 
Out in the foyer, we have a plastic container where we're always collecting um, empty pill bottles uh, for Matthew 25. We are also collecting used ink cartridges to help reduce the cost of office supplies here at the church. Every Thursday from five to seven, we have a food pantry and clothes closet. Um, if you're interested in finding a way to serve, that is one easy way to, to come. Um, and come and pray with people, sort clothes, um, set up boxes for people um, for their food needs. Um, sometimes we serve a meal and it's just a good way to connect with other people. Women's Bible study, Empty Nesters is studying a book of Galatians on Thursdays at 10 a.m. at Ruth Liming's house. Refit is a free dance fitness class on Tuesdays and Thursdays here in the sanctuary from 6.30 to 7.30. We do have a um, short devotion afterwards. If you have any questions, you can talk to Kristen. Next Saturday is the Goshen Community Easter Egg Hunt. It is at 11 a.m. at Goshen High School. We are going to meet here at 10, actually 9.45. We're going to meet here, load up the eggs um, that hopefully everybody brought today. And, um, and then we'll head over to the high school together because we do need some tables and things like that. So we have committed to 5,000 pre-filled eggs um, for the ages of 4 to 6. And uh, so we will have all that ready for next week. And... Next Sunday is Easter service, so we are having one service at 10.30, and we will have a small gift for all the kids. Tithes and offerings can be placed in the offering box in the back of the sanctuary, just back there underneath the TV and the clock. Um, yesterday, we had our first ladies' brunch. Um, we were going to take, it was called cinnamon roll and stroll. We did eat cinnamon rolls. We did not go for the hike or the walk that we planned, but we did learn a lot about what the, role, what the word stroll means when it, when it talks about taking a stroll with the Lord. Um, so we didn't physically walk, but we, we have a, a long walk that we are going to take with the Lord together. So that was a, a great time, and we hope to have more. So um, we will be letting you know when the next one is. One thing that came out of that is just um, making sure that we're praying daily, first thing in the morning. And um, as we come together weekly, we want to make sure that we have a prayer box for you guys to put prayers in. We do allow time at the end for people to come up and ask for prayer. But if it's something more private, something you just want us to pray about through the week, um, out underneath the bulletin boards, there's a new prayer box. If you want to write something and put it in there, we'd be happy to pray about those needs through the week. You don't have to put your name or anything like that, but we just want to offer another way for you to um, put your prayers up. Thank you. All right. Well, these masters men really pack them in, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have them sing again next week, too, so you can come on back. All right, so uh, today we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel. So if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to be in Matthew 21, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. And when you get there, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is, From Hosanna to Crucify. In Matthew 21, 1 through 11, the Scriptures say, As they approached Jerusalem and came Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, telling them, Go to the village ahead of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied there along with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you are to say, The Lord needs them, 
and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king comes to you humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their outer clothing on them, and he sat on it. A very large crowd spread their outer clothing on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them out on the road. The crowds who went in front of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up asking, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. You may be seated. But today is the beginning of what most Christians call Holy Week. Now, during this week, we're encouraged to remember the last days of our Lord Jesus' life on earth. Among other things, we remember the Lord's Last Supper with his disciples, his washing his disciples' feet. We remember the Lord's three hours of intense prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, his betrayal by one of his disciples, and his being deserted by all of his disciples. We remember the Lord's arrest and trial, the brutal beatings and mockery he endured, the crown of thorns he wore, the cross he carried, and the six agonizing hours he spent suspended between heaven and earth as the sinless son of God poured out his blood as the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. We remember his death and his burial, and all of that led up to the glorious day when he conquered the grave. But you have to come back next week to hear about that when we celebrate the resurrection. Today, we're going to talk about what happened between the Sunday before the resurrection and the Friday when Jesus was crucified. As we consider this question, how is it that the people who praised Jesus as king on Sunday were calling for him to be crucified on Friday? How did we get from Hosanna to crucified? That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. I ask you to open my mouth to speak the truth. Give us all eyes and ears to see and hear the truth. And give us the will and the ability to put the truth into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So the year is 33 AD. The month is March. And just like they've done for thousands of years, faithful Jews from all over the world are taking an annual trip to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. The Passover was an annual seven-day-long celebration where God's people remembered how God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And this was the most important event on the Jewish calendar. As many as two and a half million Jews would come to Jerusalem for this event. And this was always a season of expectation because God's people were not only looking back to God's deliverance from their enemies of the past, they were also looking forward to God's promise to send the Messiah, Israel's king, who would once again deliver them from their enemies. And this year, on March 31st and 33 AD, the atmosphere in Jerusalem is especially electric because that prophecy is about to be fulfilled. On the east side of the city of Jerusalem, there's a parade of people coming toward the eastern gate, and Israel's long-awaited king is coming with them. Among them, we see former fishermen, former radical politicians and tax collectors, former prostitutes, thieves, and other sinners whom Jesus has freed from their sins. We also see former blind men and lepers and demoniacs, 
and many others whom Jesus healed from various diseases. As they take the mile-long trek from Bethany to Jerusalem's eastern gate, the number of people in this parade starts to swell. With the large crowd that came for the Passover feast hear that Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and they join the parade. In John 12, 17 through 18, John gives us one reason why they were joining the parade. John says, The crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead kept telling what they had seen. This is another reason a crowd met him. They heard he had done this miraculous sign. So it was his miracles more than anything else that proved over and over that Jesus was the king that Israel had been waiting for. And by the time Jesus gets to the eastern gate of Jerusalem, there's a great crowd in front of him and behind him. And in Matthew 21, 8 through 9, Matthew tells us what this crowd is doing. He says, a very large crowd spread their outer clothing on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them out on the road. The crowds who went in front of him and those who, kept, who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And in John 12, 13, John adds this detail. He says, taking palm branches, they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So this is a joyful celebration, loud shouts of praise. Some people excitedly wave palm branches. Others lay out their clothes in the road. Still others put palm branches in the road. It's like a first century red carpet welcome for Israel's king. And this is why we call today Palm Sunday. Because on this day, 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered Jerusalem amid shouts of praise from people proclaiming he's the king of Israel as people waved palm branches and placed them on the road. So what's the significance of palm branches? Well, palm branches represent salvation and eternal peace. And when we combine the symbolism of the palm branches with the crowd's shouts of Hosanna to the king of Israel, which means, Lord, save us, well, we get this beautiful picture of the crowd that came for the Passover, acknowledging that Jesus is the king of Israel, and they were expecting Jesus to bring salvation and eternal peace by delivering them from their enemies and establishing God's kingdom. And this crowd was right about all of this, right? Jesus is their king. And Jesus did come to bring salvation and eternal peace and establish God's kingdom. But this would not happen the way they were expecting. See, at that time, Israel was under Roman rule. So the messianic expectation was that Israel's king would be a political ruler, someone who would give Israel independence as a nation and release them from physical poverty and the oppression of Roman rule. But everything Jesus had done up to this point in his public ministry was showed his followers that he had no concern for earthly kingdoms. He would not be an earthly king. He came to bring a kingdom that is not of this world. At one point he said, this kingdom is within you. That Jesus had been preaching this kingdom for three and a half years. And now he enters Jerusalem as the king of this kingdom to set in motion the events that will vividly reveal the true nature of God's kingdom. And in the process, Jesus does at least three things that show the crowd his kingship and his kingdom are not what they expect. And this could explain how we get from Hosanna 
to crucify. So first, Jesus comes to Jerusalem riding on a donkey. In Matthew 21, 4, Matthew tells us Jesus did this to fulfill a particular prophecy, a prediction that was given 500 years before it happened. We read this prophecy in Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and brings salvation. He is humble and is riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fold of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be taken away, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His kingdom will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. So Zechariah says here, 500 years before this happens, he says, your king is coming to you, but he's not coming like other kings. He will not come as a king of war with pride and power, riding a war horse or a chariot. Israel's king comes humbly as a king of peace, riding on a donkey. And this king's war is not with the Romans or with any other earthly enemies. And his war is not just with the enemies of Israel. His war is with the enemies of humanity. Those enemies include sin, Satan, death, and all the forces of evil. And this king will not fight this war with spears, swords, or bows. The only weapons in this war will be a whip, a hammer, two beams of wood, and three nails. And the only blood that will be shed in this war will be the blood of Israel's king. The king comes humbly to Jerusalem as the king of peace to begin the week that will end with him humbly pouring out his blood for the sins of the world, being buried and then rising from the grave to save humanity from the kingdom of darkness and bring us all into the kingdom of light. So although Israel's king came just as the prophet predicted, humbly on a donkey as the king of peace, well, Jesus did not meet the messianic expectation of most of God's people. The second thing Jesus did that was unexpected was what he did when he got to the gate of Jerusalem. In Luke 19, 41 through 45, Jesus, or we read this, as Jesus came near Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. He said, if you, yes, you had only known on this day the things that would bring peace to you, but now it is hidden from your eyes. In fact, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. Within your walls, they will dash you and your children to the ground. And within your walls, they will not leave one stone on top of another because you did not recognize the time when God came to help you. Now, this is not the kind of talk that you want to hear from the man who's supposed to save your people and your city from the Romans. Now, this sounds more like a prophecy of destruction than it does a promise of salvation. And indeed, it is a prophecy of destruction. A prophecy that was fulfilled 37 years after Jesus spoke those words. Because the Jews rejected their king and did not want the kind of salvation that God was offering through the Messiah, well, God rejected them. To make a long story short, in 66 AD, the Jews in Judea rebelled against their Roman oppressors. The results of this rebellion are described in detail by the Jewish historian Josephus. And it happened just as Jesus predicted. The Romans built an embankment against Jerusalem, surrounded it, and hemmed the people in on every side. In 68 AD, under the leadership of Titus, they broke through the walls of Jerusalem, 
and then spent two years dashing the people and their children to the ground and systematically destroying the city. In 70 AD, the temple was burned and torn apart. So for Israel's king who was coming to bring salvation and eternal peace to prophesy such destruction, that was certainly unexpected. And the third thing Jesus did that was unexpected is instead of coming into Jerusalem and rallying the troops for an uprising against Rome, when Matthew 21, 12 to 13, Matthew says Jesus did this. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all those who were selling and buying in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers. And in Mark eleven sixteen, Mark adds this. He says, he would not allow anyone to carry any merchandise through the temple courts. So Jesus comes to Jerusalem, and he's much more concerned with how the Jewish people were treating the Jewish temple than he was with running the Romans out of Jerusalem. So the Jews were not using the temple for its intended purpose, which was to connect people with God. Instead, Crooked leaders had allowed worship to be turned into a business. And Jesus was tired of seeing these robbers ruin his father's house. So Jesus shut the whole thing down. He's flipping tables, tossing chairs, running people off, telling others, boy, you better not bring that stuff up in here anymore. I'm tired of this. <laughs> that's that's the, uh, the, the, the Derek Tritt version. <laughs> But by cleansing the temple, Jesus showed people in Jerusalem that their problem was not the Romans. Their problem was their view of God and the way they handled the things of God. And maybe Jesus doing all these things, these unexpected things and other unexpected things could explain how the crowds went from Hosanna to crucify. But in Mark's account of Jesus' cleansing the temple, Mark gives us some details that show us what I believe is the main reason the crowd that praised Jesus on Sunday were calling for him to be crucified on Friday. And Mark eleven eighteen, 18, Mark says this, the chief priest and the expert in the law heard this. And this is where Jesus had told him the things about, you know, being, take these things out of my father's house and all this stuff. When they heard this, they, and we're, sorry, let me go back to this. The chief priests and the experts in the law heard this and were looking for a way to kill him. Indeed, they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And notice what Mark says. He says the whole crowd was amazed at Jesus' teaching. Even after Jesus rode in on the donkey, predicted Jerusalem's destruction, and cleansed the temple, well, the crowd was still hanging on Jesus' words. It was the religious rulers that did not, did not like what Jesus was saying. It was the religious rulers who wanted to kill Jesus. Because they were afraid of Jesus. And what were they afraid of? Well, we get the answer out of their own mouths when we read John eleven forty eight. Here's what they say. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. See, the religious rulers were afraid that if everyone believed Jesus is the Messiah, well, then the religious rulers would lose the lavish lifestyle that they built for themselves on the backs of God's people. And this included the money that they got from that side hustle that was going on there in the temple where they're selling things and all this. So the majority of God's people were oppressed and poor under the Romans, but not the religious leaders. 
the religious leaders were living the dream. So without the influence of those religious leaders, God's people may not have rejected Jesus as their king. But when we read the rest of the Gospels, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see these religious rulers slithering around, starting fights with Jesus, stirring up the Jewish people and the Romans to turn against Jesus. So the Jewish leaders were the main factor in getting the people from Hosanna to crucify. They wanted Jesus dead because he was a threat to their lavish lifestyle. And when we fast forward five days after Palm Sunday, after Jesus has been betrayed by Judas, falsely accused by the religious rulers, unlawfully tried and convicted by the religious rulers, and brought before the Roman governor by the religious rulers, well, we see these rotten religious rulers at work convincing the people to help them carry out their plan to kill Jesus by choosing a ruthless rebel over their rightful king. In Mark 15, 6 through 15, Mark writes this, At each Passover festival, Pilate used to release to the people one prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was imprisoned with the rebels and had committed murder in the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Who do you think the crowd wanted them to let go? Well, the Barabbas. And here's why I say that. Pilate said, do you want me to release, release the king of the Jews to you? In fact, he knew that it was because of envy that the chief priest had handed him over. Listen to this. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas to them instead. The crowd didn't want Barabbas until the chief priest convinced them that they wanted Barabbas. And then it goes on. Again, Pilate replied to them, then what do you want me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? Crucify him, they shouted back. But Pilate said to them, why? What has he, what, what has he done wrong? But they shouted even louder, crucify him. Well, since he wanted to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. After he had Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. See, Pilate wanted to let Jesus go. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, and he knew that Jesus had done nothing deserving death, and he knew the religious rulers were behind this entire thing. But the religious rulers convinced the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus. See, the cross Jesus was hanging on, that was Barabbas' cross. So five days after the glorious celebration on Palm Sunday, most of those who shouted Hosanna to the king, Lord, please save us, had been so influenced by the religious rulers that they were shouting, crucify him. And they were convinced to trade their true king for a murderous man who would rebel against Rome. The religious rulers rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and they convinced the crowd to do likewise. But what nobody knew at the time is that all of this was a part of God's plan. The Jewish leaders in the crowd did not know it yet, but what they were asking for with shouts of, Hosanna, Lord, please save us, well, that would be accomplished through their cry to crucify him. In their rejection of the Messiah and their giving Jesus over to be crucified, God was using everyone involved to fulfill Jesus' mission as the Messiah, to bring salvation and eternal peace to the world. As Peter says in Acts 2, 23 to 24, this man who was handed over by God's set plan and foreknowledge, you killed by having lawless men nail him to a cross. He is the one God raised up by freeing him from the agony of death 
because death was not able to hold him in its grip. And as Paul says in Acts 13, 27 and 33, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him. And by condemning him, they fulfilled the statements of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no grounds for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they carried out everything that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he was seen by those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. These same individuals are now his witnesses to the people. We are preaching to you the good news about the promise that was made to our fathers. God has fulfilled this promise for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. See, this was the mission of the king of Israel. This is how he brought about salvation and eternal peace. The king of Israel was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And he rose again on the third day. And in doing those things, he made it possible for all the world to be free from sin, to be free from Satan, to be freed from death and all the powers of darkness. That was God's plan before the foundation of the world. And that plan was accomplished through this crowd who went from Hosanna on Sunday to crucify him on Friday. So as we close during this Holy Week, leading up to the celebration of the resurrection, Let's remember why Jesus came. Jesus came to save us from our sins, to save us from Satan, from death, and from the powers of darkness. Jesus did that by becoming human, living a sinless life, suffering and dying on a cross, and then rising from the grave. And now for all who turn from their sin and darkness and are united with Christ in baptism, well, we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And as we live in the light of Christ's kingdom by obeying Christ's commandments, well, we will find salvation and have eternal peace with God. That's the good news for today, right? Let's all stand for prayer. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son to this earth to be our king and the one through whom we can find salvation and eternal peace. Lord, help us to keep serving Jesus as our king, to keep obeying Jesus as our king today and always. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over y'all, and then they're going to sing a final song. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a line that's been drawn through the ages on that line stands the old rugged cross on that cross
Yeah. Mm-hmm.